Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. On today's show, Joy travels to Kentucky to speak with a true hemp entrepreneur and inventor about hempwood. This is a fascinating discussion about the process of creating actual hardwood using hemp instead of trees from the Amazon. Let's join Joy's conversation with Greg Wilson from Hempwood. Well, Greg, thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Errands today. Hey, thanks for having me. As I have more than sufficiently gushed, but didn't want to do it on online here with our listeners, we're just so totally thrilled to have you. You are a hemp hero of epic proportions as you sit here and create dimensional lumber with hemp, which we have been dreaming about, at least me, since I was bit by the hemp bug uh, 30 years ago, and now moving, of course, into flooring uh, and other things. And we'll talking about your wood uh, turning products that are available online, even as we speak today. But Greg Wilson uh, of Kentucky, you have created the company Hempwood, brother. And I happen to know that uh, you were had a friend, I believe you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, because I want to get up to some of the what you're making, how you do it, some of the comparison and testing and use our time for that, as opposed to the potentially more fascinating pieces of how you came into this. But I know that you were a vinyl siding and flooring guy traditionally um, and an inventor of sorts. And uh, that you had a friend who had a bamboo flooring company wanting that bamboo flooring to be commercially available. And as we all know, or those of us who have had bamboo floors in our kitchens, you drop any type of an object on that bamboo floor, you wear high heels, God forbid, and you're going to damage that floor, such softwood. And that you then set up a nanotech lab in Australia, and I believe China, to study various plant fibers, and lo and behold, discovered that hemp worked. Uh, created the patent, the trademark, bought the URL, and here we have Hempwood working with Murray State University on this project, brother. Tell me, what is it right now? Where is your company at in terms of uh, the products that are available today uh, as we speak? And we're right here in mid to late March uh, combating this uh, unprecedented circumstances of coronavirus as we speak today. What can you sell to us? And you're the only ones who can do it on the planet Earth right now. What is it that you can sell as we embrace this versatile, valuable crop? Well, thanks for the introduction. Um, You pretty much summed up the last 15 years in about two minutes. (laughs) But yeah, um, it has moved from uh, nanotech labs that were developing how to use plant fibers and different types of adhesives. Uh, to make wood composites or replacements for um, hardwood trees. So we now currently are making hemp wood in our Murray, Kentucky um, factory in coordination with Murray State University, who was the pioneer in planting hemp uh, in 2014. They were the first university to get the seeds in the ground. So Dr. Brandon, who is the um, dean of the ag school, which they're a really good ag school here, um, he got his package in the mail, one of two that made it through back in May of 2014. And when the DEA showed up to confiscate the seeds the next day, he already had a couple acres in the ground. And he told them they had to, they're going to have to go and dig it up one by one. So that's the reason that we're here because he took the risk and they have three or five university farms 
that they grow uh, hemp test plots on since 2014 to do all the different trials and their students get to trial growing it on the school's dime, basically. Um, and then when they go home after they graduate, um, most of the ag students go into farming to some degree, whether it's on the commercial side or whether it's uh, actually growing their own crops. But they've had a couple of years practice with doing it at the university farm under the guidance of people that know what they're doing. So that's why Murray in little West Kentucky is kind of the epicenter of the hemp industry because we have close to 20,000 acres that was grown within 100 miles of our plant here. And a big portion of that is due to the fact that Murray State taught them how to do it. They have field days. They have all these training sessions. They actually have um, the Agricultural Hemp Innovation Center is based on campus there, which we're a part of. So that's what ended us up here. Uh, we are currently making dimensional lumber in the form of six by sixes. Uh, we are cutting those down into boards. Our standard board is a one by six and it's priced just above solid oak currently. Um, but we're working on getting it so it's just below in price of uh, US domestic oak. We are now launching our picture frames, which we're making in coordination with one of our cabinet manufacturers here in West Kentucky, are about 15 minutes away. They'd been doing a lot of trials for us about how the stuff milled and routed and cut and things like that with machinery that we didn't have in-house. And we developed a picture frame with them. So we do dimensional lumber in the forms of six by sixes. We do uh, one by sixes. We can cut it to specialty thicknesses that a lot of people are starting to make guitars and make different projects for um, down to a quarter of an inch. Uh, we are launching our picture frames currently as soon as we can figure out how to get the shipping dynamics on our website. If anyone's listening and could help us out with that, uh, that would be really helpful. And our flooring launch was scheduled for NOCO next week. And that has been delayed. I just want to, I just want to get in there and say how how excited I am about that. I'm riding out the coronavirus uh, with Lizzie Knight, one of the co-owners of NoCo. I'm at her ranch here in the outskirts of Fort Collins. I because I live in New York and evacuated myself out of New York to to Lizzie's ranch and to say that we are excited for the spa floor at NOCO to be Hempwood. I mean, you are the highlight. There are so many exciting things happening at NOCO, brother, but I'm a hemp building materials, just complete nut. Uh, I've done the training uh, for years for Hemp Technologies, which built the first permanent hempcrete homes in the United States. And the giddiness of the NOCO staff and leadership and, and those of us who love NOCO and have been with it since the beginning, we, we're so, you're the highlight of NOCO, brother. We're going to have hemp wood floors at the spa at NOCO. This is amazing. So we're going to get you in August to do that for the rescheduled dates of NOCO again, August 6th through 8th now. Is that right? Oh yeah. So we had our first large scale production run that we did last week of 1500 square feet. Uh, and that was supposed to be for the trade show. So it was going to be for the spa area as well as our booth. And now we got 1,500 square feet that we're sending out to our first commercial customers um, because the demand's been built up for a while. So, yeah, we'll absolutely be at NOCO. Um, 
We will have our flooring listed on our website for sale next month. Uh, we were planning on doing it in person at NOCO, but uh, I guess God changed that idea a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, we have also a lot of different wood blanks for people that we call craftsmen or woodworkers. So people are making guitars and duck calls and bowls and urns and statues and necklaces and rings and all these different items. So if you go to our website, you can also see some of the more popular things that people are putting on their uh, turning machines and their lathes and uh, doing their routing. People are making like um, pepper shakers and oh, you name it. I have an arrow that somebody made. I'm seeing that. I, it looks like you've got the pepper mill blank, the bowl blank, the bottle stopper blank, the coaster blank, bead blanks, pen blanks. I mean, this is a hempster and crafter's dream at hempwood.com, these these materials that you're getting out to folks. And and you probably also know the other co-owner of, uh, of Milco is, of course, Morris Beagle of uh, Silverwood Hemp Guitars. And, um, you know, he is all, and he's a rock star, amazing musician who was really his, who was in that industry for a very, very many years and, and still dabbles in it. And, uh, so we're watching Morris and his hempwood guitars. I mean, this is so exciting to have this incredible material available to us to get hemp into our homes and into our lives, um, with everyday articles. And to really see it on on a, on a building material scale, I'm just so excited. Uh, of course, Noco would have loved to have had that first 1,500 square feet, but amazing! You're actually going to be able to get it out and sell it to somebody who's been dying to have it in their home or their or their other project. This is so wonderful. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's um, there's so many different neat things that are being made out of it, and we're setting this up kind of as a, a sharing community where we'll be the first ones to admit we don't know all of the different ways to use it and we don't understand all of the different properties and all these different settings that people are looking for and so when people are buying material from us we're saying that hey look here's what we find to be the best uses um if somebody makes something really creative or wants us to um put up what they made on our instagram site you can go to hempwood underscore and you can see all the different things people are making and people are sharing with each other how it actually performs, how to use it, what are the little secrets and the little ideas that somebody thought of in say Western Canada that's then sharing that with somebody in Florida that's using it for making uh, different objects because there's so many different fields that it's starting to creep its way into and everybody has a different idea of how it's working and how it's happening. So we're trying to do the social media thing where everybody can let each other know what you can make out of it, what are the best techniques for using it. We actually had um, John, who's our marketing guy. He was with our local wood turner, uh, who we've been working with for six months now and making uh, YouTube videos to just kind of show people how it performs and what are the different things that you need to do especially when you're like rounding corners because the hemp fibers are so strong that when you're rounding a corner they tend to be a little they fray a little bit or become stringy but if you put a wood hardener on the corner if you have like a round corner put a wood hardener on it and then you sand it and it sands off but when you try to cut a hemp fiber because of how strong they are with a blade 
sometimes it tears a little. So there's some unique attributes there that really need to get worked out. Oh yeah. And everybody's sharing it. Oh yeah. Every machine that touches hemp has to be modified. That's my, my general rule. It's a large part of the lesson here because so many folks, they want some plug and play. Like all of a sudden, we're just going to go ahead and, you know, put hemp fiber into the wood craft pulp cellulose paper making companies. No problem. Just switch it up. And, you know, there is no plug and play. And, and that actually is a great segue to what I'm very much interested in speaking with you about, and that is the larger lessons that are going on for us as a planet, as a a human race in terms of consciousness, um, and, and also on an industrial and agricultural revolution, and that is nanotechnology and permaculture, which basically say nature doesn't make mistakes. Nature is efficient. Nature figures it out. It it practices maximum efficiency. And we want to mimic designs and systems in nature to work smarter together uh, as opposed to harder and against each other in an inefficient manner. And so I think hemp has so much to teach us uh, in that respect because it's not plug and play. It requires a rethinking of of everything. And while we're sitting here rethinking systems, let's go ahead and really rethink them and start to mimic the way nature would design that system. And so right there um, on your website, it says hempwood is made via a patented process that utilizes biomimicry to transform hemp fibers and protein-based bonding agents into a variable substitute for anything solid oak can be used for. So I first want to talk about biomimicry, and then we can talk also about all of the purposes that the hemp crop is used for, at least your source of it. Some people, many folks are growing for only one purpose, and and right now, because the market was there, that was extract for the most part this year. Of course, we have this major overproduction problem and saturation in the market, Um, but we'll get on to those other types, dual and tri-crops, and really utilizing the whole crop, but Let's go back to biomimicry, brother, and explain to us what that means and then specifically what that means for hemp wood. So the easiest way to explain it is that you are mimicking what nature does, just as you said. So what we looked at when doing the various products from bamboo to eucalyptus to recycling woods now to hemp wood is first you want to start out with what you're looking for the final attributes that you're looking for in the plant. And everyone is after the 200-year-old tropical rainforest wood. And that's because the density is high, which gives it a high hardness as well as a high stability. That's why you hear like Brazilian cherry or teak being the wood that everyone is after. So we determined that you want to have a high-density wood that is mimicking a 200-year-old rainforest tree. But in order to kind of do the right thing for us, uh, for mankind, is you want to use something that's renewable, something that's pulling carbon out at a fast rate. And so we developed an algorithm that takes fast-growing plant fibers. You take an adhesive, which you can use a bio-based adhesive that we're using now, which is um, made out of soy. And it actually mimics the way that uh, muscles hold their strength. And 
then you take the proteins from the soy, you impregnate that into our hemp fiber. You use a cross-linking agent, which is an organic acid, similar to what the muscles use. And that is how you bind the product together. You have to dry it out and you bake it in an oven like a loaf of bread that causes the cross-linking to occur. Um, and there's actually a couple of little secret things that we put in there. Uh, all of them are natural, but they keep out insects and they keep mold out because hemp tends to mold fairly quickly. So does the high protein inside of the adhesive. So um, the biomimicry is essentially an algorithm that takes a fast growing plant, adds a bio-based adhesive and turns it into a replacement for your tropical hardwoods in final attributes. Does that make sense? It surely does. And I'm, I so appreciate that explanation. And, and it's, it's very visual as well. And a lot of you know, folks are used to hearing all of this antifungal and anti-mold and antibacterial qualities for various uh, parts or industries in hemp, such as in textiles. And then I remember getting my first pair of hemp rope sandals. I was following the Grateful Dead in the early 90s and hemp rope sandals became available. And I bought my pair and hey, it was anti-mold, right? These things aren't going to mold. Well, it only took that one rainstorm and those five puddles <laughs> and that leaving them in the back of the van for a week for me to realize that wasn't entirely true. And, uh, and of course, for hempcrete, which we is a construction infill, an above ground construction infill, which is mold rot, pest and fire resistance. Uh, that is because of the lime, of course, that's a hemp herd, that inner woody core of the hemp stock for our listeners, as opposed to that bast fiber, the outer um, bark of the hemp stock and a very particular lime and water, but it's the lime, of course, uh, and the specific mixture ensuring that you've done it correctly that keeps out the mold. So uh, you have to compensate for that with, with the hemp wood product. And, and let's talk for a moment as we discuss those things, why hemp? Um, it, of course, there are many different attributes, as we often say, hemp may look like canaf or flax as it's growing, uh, but on the on a microscopic scale and certainly on a nano scale, which we didn't even have the ability or technology to see hemp on a nano scale 30 years ago uh, when we were uh, really first getting involved in this movement in this industry, um, it's quite different. So let's talk about then why why did hemp fiber work, the hemp plant work versus these other plants? Okay. So uh, the first thing that we look at is how the plant grows. And so if you have a plant that grows really fast, it ticks the box of being a renewable resource. But it also means that the plant has capillaries that run through it, or it has a means of transferring nutrients and sunlight and um, just the different soils and elements and rain and water because it grows so fast. And those capillaries are actually what we use in our process because we take the adhesives and we dilute them down with water significantly. And then we use the water as the vehicle to drive the proteins into the cell structure. So you're impregnating it rather than encapsulating it. Very often when people would take something like if you took a stick and dipped it into water, then you would just be encapsulating it or dipped it into glue. Um, whereas we break the cell structure open, but it's already partially open because it has these capillaries in it. And it allows that adhesive that we had been diluted down with water to drive into the cell structure of it. 
So that's really important because that's what gives you your strength and your density. Whereas um, if you're using something that grows really slow and it already has all of its lignans and cellulose in place, that's already giving it a hardness, you can't get that same method of making it. So the fact that it grows really, really fast and the fact that it um, looks kind of like bamboo turned me on to the ability to use it. And so we started looking at, we actually took it from some tea fields in uh, China because they use hemp for tea over there. And they had these long stalks after the people were picking, picking the hemp flower off and the leaves. Uh, and we used those stalks in the nanotech lab to just see if it works. So it made sense to do, but it kind of sat on the shelf as a joke. Uh, I had a sample sitting on my desk since maybe 2010 and used to say to people that the manufacturing algorithm is so versatile, we can turn weed into wood. And that's before I even knew about the whole hemp element of it or before I was really into that. It was another plant fiber that made sense to use and it was not legal so it didn't make sense to commercially pursue and 2014 changed all that so 2014 with passing the hemp bill then it actually allowed it in certain states and it did not allow it federally so entrepreneurs could chase after making a new product out of it rather than a large corporation that had to follow federal rules so that's what kind of allowed us to sneak in there. Absolutely. I mean, it was the, of course, Agriculture Act of 2014, the Farm Bill, which had that glorious legitimacy of industrial hemp research amendment in it and created the Agricultural Pilot Program, the defined term within that legislation and defined industrial hemp for the first time in U.S. history, distinguishing it from marijuana. And I remember, you know, the naysayers when by that time I'd been working in the hemp movement for 24 years. So this was an amazing, revolutionary, cosmic, seismic shift in cannabis policy in the United States. And, and folks complained because it wasn't enough. And we knew that this path forward uh, through the agricultural pilot programs, and of course now, thank goodness, completely legalized as an agricultural commodity and removed in every respect a hemp uh, from the Controlled Substances Act and the shackles of DEA jurisdiction Side note, USDA interim final rule, but I digress. But we knew that that was a blessing, and it allowed the, the, these agricultural research pilot programs then to begin to uh, be invented or for those state departments of ag, of course, to be able to promulgate rules to create them in states where hemp was allowed uh, to be cultivated. And, uh, and then for our institutions of higher education, and as you say, Murray State, boldly, even before the University of Kentucky or Kentucky State University took advantage of that. Um, and, and of course, as you stated in the beginning, had to come up against the DEA, who despite the clear legislation and intent of it said, hey, uh, this, this viable hemp seed here is a controlled substance. And uh, that litigation was fascinating, as was um, the settlement. But absolutely incredible that it unfolded that way so that so that exactly as you say the huge corporations could not immediately come in and take advantage and instead inventors small businesses 
um, entrepreneurs, cottage industry, were really able to to get in there. And uh, and you know, for ill or good, many folks focused on extract, but here you have you and Murray State and your incredible team um, and all of those who support you. Uh, and have supported you throughout deciding, no, we know where the trillion dollar industries are and we know where the planetary healing is. And it's in the many, many uses of this incredible fiber. Let me ask you, does the silica content within hemp, which is one of the reasons, by the way, that hemp is so perfect for hemp creek to make that construction and fill with lime is because the lime wants to bond with silica and wood cellulose is basically void of it. Is the silica content within hemp, does that play a factor in your product as well? Uh, that's one of the things that kind of helps from its natural state that allows the bonding to occur. Uh, I wish it was higher in proteins because then I wouldn't even have to use the soy as the base for the glue. Uh, we've been working on that, but it just hasn't really come to fruition of being able to make an adhesive purely out of it. But the silica definitely does give it a boost. It makes it so you don't have to do a preparation step that you typically have to do with different woods or different bamboos, which is you have to boil it in the hydrogen peroxide to rough up the surface to be able to get that cross-linking to actually hook into the cell structure. But the silica in this, I believe we at least give part of the credit um, that that's why you do not have to do that step because it actually helps us not having a whole bunch of discharge water from the facility uh, that we have to figure out how to clean it up then. So that's part of the problem with bamboo is that you have to pull all of these natural elements out of it to basically kill the plant. So then the glue can hook into it where this one, we're just unbailing the round bales. Uh, we invented a machine to do that. We call it the toilet paper unroller. It just looks like a big toilet paper unroller and it's got a motor on it. Uh, we pull out a half a bale at a time. It's so, I think, 32 feet long, uh, four feet wide. And then we put it through a plywood roller. And that plywood roller breaks open the cell structure of it before we put it into a batching system and submerge it into our adhesive. Uh, once it comes out of there, we took a tobacco barn and we hooked up a silo dryer that you use for, like, drying corn and... Um, beans. Uh, we hooked that up to our tobacco barn and then we put a recirculating system in there with some humidity and temperature controls to be able to drive it back down to a certain moisture content and that moisture content makes it so it doesn't crack so it doesn't um, have to dry out as much like natural wood because with natural wood when you cut down a tree you're at 50% moisture content and then the ends of the logs always split and so you're ending up cutting off the last six to 12 inches of each end of the log before you turn it into boards where we're able to avoid that wastage because we dry it out to a moisture content that is appropriate for what we want to do with it. And then that's when we press it into a block and bake it like a loaf of bread. So there's all these different things and we don't know all the answers, but we're just kind of moving it along as fast as we can and figuring it out on the fly. We've bought, uh, well, probably 25% of our equipment for the facility as we were building it up and learning stuff just on Facebook Marketplace and eBay and secondhand farm stuff. We're dragging it out of different barns around the state of Kentucky and Tennessee and adapting all these different things to try to make it work because it's a shame to say that people don't make very much in the United States anymore. And so when we're doing different 
projects in different places, like in China, you can go on Alibaba.com when you have an idea of how you could process or adapt the process in some sort of piece of equipment, go in Alibaba, you can buy that equipment, it arrives next week and you can do your trials. And it's really inexpensive. Here, nobody makes machines anymore or very few do. And so we have to take a machine that's 30 years old sitting in somebody's barn. And then we have our in-house machinist who sits down with our engineering team and says, how should we adapt this thing to try to make it work on hemp? And then all of a sudden it kind of works when we take these older machines and adapt it. And then we have to build new machines based off of what we prototype there. For instance, we actually create a significant portion of our own energy in the plant by taking our waste hemp and we have a bio burner that turns that into our heat for our facility, as well as the heat for our ovens for baking and the heat for our kilns for drying out the wood. So we're taking our waste and using every bit of it, just, you know, the USDA interim final rules. And this is specific to cultivation, of course. The USDA only has jurisdiction over cultivation and not processing. But the multitude of public comments, which I wrote for various organizations, and, you know, was just, are you kidding me, on the destruction of hemp that it tests above 0.3% THC, as opposed to disposal, which, by the way, the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018, the Farm Bill, the most recent one that legalized hemp as an agricultural commodity, you know, uses the word disposal, not uh, destruction. And so literally begging the USDA in these public comments to, at a minimum, allow for biodigestion and pyrolysis and to spell it out because the USDA is actually conducting uh, research on pyrolysis. Um, to please, at minimum, allow the use on farm um, for for this hot hemp, so to speak, or non-compliant hemp um, to be used for biodigestion and pyrolysis. It is an, more of a thrill. I mean, more as in I was already so beyond impressed and just in love with hempwood for a number of months now. And now to discover that you are using your waste hemp then to create energy in the facility. This is mind blowing to me. This is so great to understand about hempwood. <laughs> yeah, and so we had to figure out that whole process of it by taking locally made um, bio burners that typically are used at wood mills and they take chips, uh, wood chips and sawdust. We have plenty of sawdust from here. We put that in there, but we have to figure out how to grind up the hemp. And nothing likes to grind hemp because it's so tough and hard. So they had to take plastic grinders and then modify them to be able to put the hemp stalks into it so we can grind it up and there's dust everywhere and just, it works, but it's a pain in the butt. So we take our waste, we grind it up, we turn it into the energy. And then because we have to use higher temperatures for setting our glues, uh, typically these are only using water to um, transfer your heat to the different areas inside of your plant. But we had to come up with a solution that was not oil to be able to transfer the heat to the different sections in our plant. And so we came up with glycine, which is used in the solar panel industry for transferring the power that's created in solar panels. We're now using that to pipe our energy through the plant. Um, so there's all these, it's science and engineering happening from two o'clock in the morning when I get to the plant until eight o'clock at night, whenever the last of us go home. It's 
quite wild. Hemp is so lucky to have you, brother. And I want to get into some of the certifications and testing so the listeners can, in the, in the time that we have left, so the listeners can really understand um, the strength of this product. Uh, and, and because we, I wanted to get into, of course, all of the uses of, of the plant, and I apologize that, um, that we didn't get into it, that piece of it, I do want to make sure the listeners know that it sounds to me, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, at Murray State, they are growing fiber hemp or they're growing hemp, you know, that's 12 to 14 inches tall. The combine comes and takes that flower from the top so that it can be used for extract or other purposes. And of course, takes the seed, perhaps just the seed for its seed bank. And then, uh, and then you come along and with another setting on the combine and go ahead and take that stock and just leave the roots. Now, the roots, of course, can be used. There are very valuable triterpenes located in the roots of the hemp plant that are very difficult to find in any plant and, and don't exist in any other part of the hemp plant. But those very same roots, of course, build such uh, organic matter in the soil and help to build the soil. So it's great that they're left there. But the hemp that you use, grown in America, Murray State, being used for the seed bank, the flowers, and the stock, just amazing. Correct me if I'm wrong with any of that. Um, and then after that, please let us know about some of the tests, CARB2 compliance, the Jenka hardness, the dimensional change coefficients, and so on, brother. Yeah, sure. So you're absolutely correct. The hemp is grown plant about 40 pounds per acre of seed, and so it grows really um, dense. And when it grows really dense, it doesn't allow the overcrowding of the weeds. So they don't use any sort of pesticides or herbicides or anything like that. Uh, it grows really, really thick. The canopy gets up and then that canopy prevents the sunlight from allowing weeds to grow. At harvest time, which is typically two weeks after the male plants start to die, uh, the seeds are ready to go. And so when the seeds are ready, that's the cash crop for the people uh, that we're working with. So they set their combine headers for about six foot. Some of them they have to set a little bit lower, maybe five feet, um, depending on when floral and seed material starts on the stalk. So set the combines, they take off the top of the plant. It's separated into flower in one bin, seed in the other bin. Uh, the seed goes to the seed banks. I believe they have to freeze it so they can grow it for next year. Or the stuff that's third year crop goes into food because after the third year, you don't have high enough germination rates. And the food seed costs, I think, like a quarter of what the um, replanting seed's value is. So they have different streams that the seed goes into. The floral material is baled and is sent to oil um, processing facilities. And uh, the next day, we typically come back with sickle bars and cut down the stalks. And then you let them ret for a couple of days, dry out to get the green out of them in the sun, turn it over with a windrow, come back and bale it. And then we get oh, four to eight truckloads a day into the facility here, or we're stuffing every barn we can find around here, full of hemp, keep it out of the rain. When it comes in here, then we go through, right now we're only doing maybe one to two tons a day. Uh, we want to be able to get up to processing a ton an hour in the facility here. So it's on the way. But yeah, none of the plant is wasted. They do leave the roots out in the field. I think that's just because when you're dealing with thousands of acres, how are you going to dig thousands of acres of roots out of the ground? People are doing trials. There's all types of research happening on it. But 
when you say biomimicry and trying to use the whole plant and everything, our company's name is actually Fibonacci. And it's named Fibonacci because we use the Fibonacci sequence in that manufacturing algorithm. And that's the sequence of life. That kind of tells you what is the optimum means of putting certain items into nature due to sunlight and due to rain and how things can optimally grow. And so that's what we use to make this product. So it's kind of a full circle thing. There's a reason that that number comes up in nature so much. And there's a reason it works for making our different products. We might not know exactly why, but it does. And that Fibonacci sequence that gives us our density of the final product gives us our hardness, which is the Jenka hardness. And the Jenka hardness is you take a ball bearing that's essentially one inch in diameter and you measure how much pressure it takes to have, I believe it's 50% of that ball bearing imprint into the uh, board or the material that you're putting into it. And so our Jenka hardness ratings have come back in the 2800 scale. 20, I've seen some that were 2,500 up to 2,800, where your domestic oaks are typically 1,800. So it's significantly higher than what oak is. Uh, we only claim 20% higher in hardness because it's a lot easier to under-promise and over-deliver than to say every single one is 50% harder, and then some of them come back as only 40% or 35%. Some of the other testing that we do on them, they're all ASTM, I believe it's 1037A is the standard testing for uh, wood materials and composites. And so we do our um, wet testing, we do our dimensional change coefficient according to those. We do our dry strength testing, which is an impact test. It's essentially like a hammer that you take to see how much force it takes to actually break the wood. Your accelerated aging where you put your materials into water for two hours and then take a measure 24 hours and take a measure and then you let it dry back out and take a measure you also have uh leaves the eight hour soak test where you put it in water for eight hours and you let it dry for eight hours and then you put it in an oven for eight hours to do your accelerated aging going through different climates basically even though that one doesn't pertain to ours because we're not an exterior product, we still run those tests. You have your CARB-2 compliance, which is VOC emissions, because we're adding no formaldehyde. We do not have any VOC emissions that have been added to our product. Uh, all natural plants do have a little bit, so all trees and leaves and everything like that have a little bit, but we have zero added formaldehyde. We have zero added VOCs other testing that we do. There's a lot of different processing testing for how it cuts, how it sands, how it stains, how it's moisture resistant. Right now we are doing a interior non-structural, which the standard uses would be flooring is typically about 60% of the different products that we come up with by volume. We have furniture, which includes stair treads and cabinetry, as well as chairs and desks and tables and things like that. Furniture usually ends up being about 20% of the output of the, um, the different products we come up with. And then home goods and hobby woods. And home goods and hobby woods go into all different types of lamps and, oh, you name it. There's people making what they call, for the wounded warriors scenarios, they were making uh, um, defense canes. So people that were wounded in the military uh, 
instead of just having a regular cane, they have a cane that's made out of something that's harder that they can defend themselves. It makes them feel a little bit better. Uh, there's people making uh, chef knife handles, duck calls, everything you could think of. And it works for most of it, but there's a serious learning curve for all of that. And trying to figure out how it will work in different uses is still, there's a lot of work to be done there. John, who does our marketing, he compiles all of this stuff and he puts it online. We try to share it as much as we can on the website through our different partners that we're working with, like Real Lumber out in California. They're really good to us. Tennessee Wood Flooring that we do the flooring with, they're really good to us. We also have Hempwood Canada that's taking off. Um, our buddy Kareem up in Nova Scotia just had the first Hempwood kitchen that he took to a trade show. So there's a whole lot of stuff that's happening. There's a whole lot of new products on the horizon. And we love to see when people make something new and different and tell us how it performs and give us their test results. Whether it's a, some guy in his little workshop or it's a huge corporation like Shaw, there's all different types of people trying to figure out how does this fit into their current products or into their lifestyle. Well, Greg, watching the lotus petals of hempwood unfold is such a pleasure and treat, especially for a hemp nerd like me who has just been invested in this dream, now a reality, for decades. And you are such a big part of it without even realizing how much real estate hempwood has been taking up in my mind and in my heart since I discovered uh, your existence watching it all unfold. Thank you. We're talking about a plant grown in America with a facility right here in America created by an American innovator, just like you, a vinyl siding and a flooring guy, really such a huge part of the revolution. Everybody do not run, do not walk, run to hempwood.com and please see what the products that are available there. Because guess what? If you get into the wood turning section, there is something there for everybody or somebody that you know, and it's time for all of us to have a piece of this in our home, to touch it, feel it, use it, and embrace the new hemp economy. Greg, thank you so, so much for being with us on Hemp Parents today, and I can't wait to have you back. Hey, well, thanks for having us, and I can't say it more. It takes a village to get this done, whether it's the people that are growing, whether it's the fellow processors, or it's the market. If people don't buy what we're making, we won't last long. So if you can go to hempwood.com and purchase something while you're sitting at home with this coronavirus blues and trying to figure out what to do in your boredom, dust off your uh, table saw or get your chop saw out, buy some hempwood and you can get it delivered to your house. You don't even have to go out to Lowe's or anywhere and pick it up and make something cool, share it back with us and we'll put it up online so people can know what's going on and how it works. And if anyone wants to come and visit, uh, as soon as this scare is over, come on down. We're in Murray, Kentucky. It's, uh, we're right behind Duncan's, the little burger joint. So it's hard to miss us. Everybody in town knows. I'll be taking you up on that offer, brother. My youngest will start his MBA at Gatton at UK in June, and I will be taking you up on that offer. Greg, thank you so much again for everything you do here at Hemp Barons. We are just wishing you the greatest success. Hey, thanks for having us, and keep up the good work. Thanks for listening to today's show. 
To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on PodCon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at the Talking Hedge podcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.